Folks, sorry about the little bit of entertainment up here at the front during the, the singing of those final hymns or final verses. We tried to find the radio mic, but we found it and we're sorted. Uh, it's good to see you with us this morning as we join together in worship. My name is David McCullough, and I am the assistant minister here. Uh, if you're someone who has been around for a few weeks or this is your first time, uh, we realize that as faces get up, sometimes we take it for granted uh, that people know who we are. But we do welcome you as we worship together. Over the past number of weeks, we've been looking at what it means to be a gospel-centered church. And we're going to continue thinking of that this morning. And as we do, let's prepare ourselves. So let's come and let's pray and ask for God's help, His real help, as we figure out in our lives what it means to be gospel-centered people. So let's pray. Father, as we come, we thank you that the message is Jesus is the light of the world. He came down as part of your salvation plan so that there would be a way for humankind to come into relationship with you. Help us as we work it through in our own lives what it means to be your people. Lead us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me, for a minute or two, recap uh, with you how far we've come in understanding what a gospel-centered church is. We started off uh, in September thinking about mission at the center. Everything we do must have mission at the center. Church wouldn't exist if it wasn't for mission. The proclamation of the good news of Jesus is the core activity of what church is the mission is for everyone. We must show and tell the gospel message. We must do it with the gifts and the abilities that we have been given, God-given gifts and abilities. Mission is for every one of us. Then we thought that mission has no walls. Traditionally, church has seen itself as the hub of mission. The building is the hub of mission But Scripture tells us mission is throughout all of the world, whether there are walls and a roof or not. There are no walls because we are supposed to live lives to God's glory in the world around us. Then we thought of mission without fear. We're not to have any fear as we do gospel work. We shouldn't have the fear of failure or the fear of ridicule. It is better to take gospel initiatives than f- that fail than to fail to take gospel initiatives. And then the last priority that we thought of was a priority of people. People must be the priority of our evangelistic activities rather than the structures of our congregations. Structures are important and effective for the organization of our church, but they must not hinder our sharing of the gospel with the people that we desire to reach. So far as we've thought of all of these things, it's been very much okay. This is what we we need to do. This is good theory. We take a, a step this morning in thinking, well, what does it really look like? As we start to engage with this, to work it through, and as we will leave these doors today. I've shared it from here before. As a student, I attended a church in West Yorkshire, It was a dying church. In fact, it's now closed, and I believe an Islamic group have moved in to take over that building. 
But right until the day that its doors were closed, there was a notice, a simple handwritten notice on a piece of cardboard. And it said, you are now leaving church and entering the mission field. The people in that congregation saw it close, but their passion was still to reach out into the mission field that God had placed them. So today, as we leave church and enter into the mission field of Ballyhackamore or wherever else we are from, wherever we live and wherever we work, let's see how we can be prepared for that. Practically today, we think of what it means to be relational in our gospel efforts and also being in partnership. If we profess faith in Jesus Christ, I wonder when did that miracle of a moment happen? Because that's what it is. There is one moment. The journey to that moment may have been one that we've enjoyed or or found difficult, but there is a moment of realization that, yes, I am a sinner and Jesus is doing something with my life. We know our sins are forgiven, and we have that confidence to continue on the journey after that pause, that miracle of a moment where we are assured of what faith is for us. For some, it may have been at a summer camp or a mission, a beach mission, something or some activity that we've been sent along to as a child, and we've come to know faith in Christ. Maybe it was an evangelistic meeting where we've had our questions And in that meeting, whoever has been up front proclaiming the gospel message has has given us the answers. And so we are assured in understanding what our journey of faith means and how we can continue on that journey. Or maybe it's through friends, people at school, people in work, people who we've seen Jesus in, and we desire to be like Jesus as we see them, as we see him in them. However our journeys look, However, we have come to this point of understanding that we are Christians, that we are people saved by the grace of God. It has become possible through relationship. If it has been at a camp or a mission, it's been our leader. I can remember back because I came to faith through a leader teaching me the way of Christ at a camp. And you build a relationship. It was about getting to know them. And at camp, it's very hard not to see the real person because you're with these people 24 hours a day, seven days that week. Or a leader at SISM or beach missions where children idolize, perhaps, our leaders because they think they're great and they're cool and they're who they want to be. But yet it's an avenue in for us to proclaim the message. Or maybe we have been so captivated by whoever's been speaking up front that it's captured our heart and our souls to understanding who Jesus is as they share their faith from the front. It's about relationship. There is some connection. Paul told us that it's about relationship. 1 Thessalonians 2, we see this as a model of what gospel work is. It's about sharing and building relationships. Paul visited the believers in Thessalonica In verse 1, he tells us that his visit was a good one. If you don't know where Thessalonica is, uh, it's in Greece on the Aegean coast, and this is where Paul had visited with Silas in Acts 17. They had come to Thessalonica after being in Philippi. In Acts 16, we read in Philippi that they faced the mountains of what it meant to follow Jesus, but also what they saw as the valleys as well. 
because in Philippi they had seen conversions, baptisms, they had cast out demons, but they'd also been put in prison and had been told to flee and get out of Philippi. And if that had been your situation, that you had gone to proclaim this message and you had faced all these things, witnessed great things for God and how people were one for Him, but yet also faced persecution by being put in prison and thrown out of the city, how eager would you be to move on to the next place? What would your message be like as you moved? Well, Thessalonians says that they found their time in Thessalonica to be beneficial profitable and edifying. After what they'd faced in Philippi with so much hassle and heartache, but yet tinged with this greatness that God was still supreme, they came to Thessalonica to do what they had done in Philippi, to be faithful to the gospel message. For Paul, success was spending time with these people. They came, they lived, they worked Acts 17 tells us Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. He came three weeks' worth of learning together, sharing together. And these people get to see who Jesus is. They get to witness Him, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, as Paul teaches, but also as Paul lives. Because he remarks in the letter to the Thessalonians that he and Silas worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. They lived in the community. They worked in the community. They shared life with people. They were observed in their business practices. They were observed in their interactions with each other and others around them, how they treated people who came their way. And they were also observed about how they went to worship. The eyes of the community, this community in Thessalonica were on them like the eyes of a lion or on an antelope that it is tracking to bring home for its cubs. They were being watched. And this made me think. I had to stop and pause. Because I see myself, especially when I'm up front and preaching on a Sunday morning, dressed in a suit, walking down a street that I've only moved into three months ago, and you don't know who's looking out. You don't know who is watching. You don't know who's going to be on the street. You walk around the corner, and you sometimes you see people who are dressed like you going into worship in the Free Presbyterian Church. And you make your way along the street, and the cars that are queued at the traffic lights. There's someone in a suit with, sometimes, normally, a big black, a big black Bible under their arms. What does it look like? What does it communicate? Is it a witness to Jesus Christ? As I live in the street that I now call home, as I live in this community, Ballyhackamore, that I am beginning to call home, how am I a witness? How am I building relationships with people? Because the honesty is, I'm not. 
I can walk out through my door, and I can see people, and they're not interacting with each other, and I can't tell you who my neighbors are, but I need to, because the model that Paul teaches us is that we must be relational people. Think of your next-door neighbor. You may not know them by name, or you may, but you know what they look like. Think of the people you work with. You may not know where they live, but you know their names and you know what they look like. The people in school, college, university, people we see every day. Are we being relational with them, not just out of some social necessity, but with an idea that we want to show Jesus as we strengthen and build our relationship with them. I will be honest, I have struggled with this this week. I am naturally a shy person. You may not think that someone standing up front can be shy, but yeah, I don't find it easy immediately talking to people. It's difficult. It takes us out of what is a familiar comfort zone, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the life that we live, we must be relational people. Yesterday, I had the great privilege of sharing with friends of mine who have gone down to Waterford to church plant, and they're involved in a, in a growing community down there of people who are coming for a Bible study in the hope that one day they will start a church. And they've been down there for four months, and they're down in a society that is secular, materialistic, and has no interest in anything that the church would offer, whether it be the established church, the Roman Catholic church, or indeed anything that any of our evangelical churches offer. They have no interest because they're tired of what they see as religion. My friends have had to join a tag rugby team. They've had to do things that take them out of their comfort zone that they're not necessarily comfortable with so that they can make inroads in developing relationships and knowing people. Is it the same for us? Are we just maintaining a small circle of Christian friends like I'm doing, when really I should be looking and seeing what I can be doing to engage with the people around me? Now, I will admit tag rugby isn't for me, but it might be for you. Or it might be another community group that's around us. It might be something that you can do to join, to give up one or two hours a week so that you can live in community and be relational with the people around us. So far, our study in being gospel-centered church has given us the message to get out there and get on with it. And that's what I'm encouraging you this morning in being relational, but we do have to think of something else by being relational, we think that it's about being on our own, that we go and do what we do, and that's it, individual. That's what the world teaches us. But we need to pause and think another moment of being in partnership. Yes, we are relational in our presentation of the gospel, but we also need to be in partnership, and that partnership is with each other. The faces that we thought of a minute ago I want you to put them into one part of your brain and now put in your brain the faces that are around you, the body of Christ, 
a community of worshipers who are in partnership together. A few weeks ago, we learned that we weren't allowed to let fear paralyze us, to let the fear of failure or the fear of rejection stop us from doing gospel work, that we should get out there and do it. But we must be very real about getting out there and doing it. As a child, I used to enjoy watching Crime Watch UK. I think it's still on. I haven't seen it in years. Why my parents let me watch it, I don't know, but how and ever. At the end of it, Nick Ross would say every night, don't have nightmares, do sleep well. What we had witnessed in that program up to that point could have been scary, could have been horrific, but this program was designed to to help the police get a lead on some of the things that have been happening in our country. And Nick Ross was very kind and gentle and said, look, don't worry about it. It can be nasty, but at least tonight, have a good night's rest. But there's a reality in that. The world is nasty. The world has many pitfalls. The world makes us easy prey as we go out and proclaim Christ. Once we take this gospel message out of what is the relative safety and closure of the church building or a well-established pulpit, it gets messy. It gets difficult and it gets hard. And without a hint of melodrama, we can speak of gospel ministry as being frontline spiritual warfare. So how do we do it? Because the aim of this morning is not to depress you so much that you don't want to do anything. The question is, how do we do this knowing that this is the reality? How do we do the work that we have been called to do in the confidence of Christ? And I start off by saying it's simply not about strength in numbers. It's not about getting as many people flocked together as we can to go out and do whatever we can. It's not just about numbers. I've come to believe that effective gospel work happens when it is done in the significance of Christian relationships. Seeing Christians relating to one another and loving each other is incredibly powerful. It is a means of authenticating our gospel message. Whenever I'm asked to share how my development, my journey in faith has been, one thing that has been influential is serving on teams. You're gathered with a group of people who are all from all over Ireland. You come together for one week with one purpose to present the gospel of Christ. The minor issues of theology are thrown out. You can discuss whatever you want, but it's not really a primary issue, nor should it be, because our primary focus is the gospel message. We may not always get on. As we share in rooms, it may be you can't stand that snorer because you can't get any sleep, or the person who keeps the room so tidy that it freaks you out with the tidiness, or indeed the person who's so messy that it freaks the tidy person out. But what happens in those situations is that we learn to love each other for the sake of the purpose of why we're together, to share the gospel message partnership, this coming together, this Christian relationship with each other, as we know it individually with Christ, is what is needed as we face a world that doesn't easily accept the message that we have to proclaim. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, 
is talking about church and what church is. So whenever we come to Ephesians 6 and think about the armor of God, it's done thinking about the church. It's not about an individual soldier going out to march. It's done as a group, as an army. And in verse 15, we are told of Ephesians 6 that the soldier is to be ready to go because they bring with them the message of the gospel of peace. He's not marching alone, so he is to be ready as he goes with the rest of his comrades, with the rest of his regiment. Jesus sent his disciples out in twos and later in groups. Paul had helpers and co-workers at every stage of his missionary journey. We take the gospel with us, but not as individuals, but together as God's people. The armor of God also teaches us that we take it with the sword of the Spirit, that is, the Word of God. We learn from God's Word in many ways as we take it with us, individually in our quiet times, mutually in Bible study groups and small groups, and corporately in settings like this where we come together and learn together. And verse 19 Paul finishes off by asking four partners for a specific purpose, to pray. He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So what can we do? How can we do this together? Because I think we understand what it means to be relational But what does it mean for all of us here to be in partnership as each of us, either individually through our contacts or as groups, but corporately together in our purpose, go out and share the message? How can we as members and people who gather here at Kirkpatrick Memorial do this together? Can we pray together in discipleship groups, Wednesday prayer, prayer time before service, on a Sunday evening. Can we come together and pray? Pray for each other and pray for the work that God has called us to. Secondly, in Faith Academy that's coming up, can we be part of our church's outreach and what is our mission? We've gone through our process of church community and change. We've looked at what we believe needs to be done and led by God. Can we be involved in a nursing home group a befriending group, an oak group that will work in the Clarewood estate? Can we be involved in a group that will look after big screen events? Can we be involved in a labor pool where we will practically help each other and people in this community? Can we be involved in off-site sporting events? I don't know if anything there trickles something in your head that you think, I'd like to be involved in that, because if that's what's happening come to Faith Academy that starts on the 7th of November and be involved in these groups that will take the message out into this community. Because we're not doing it alone. We're doing it in partnership with each other as we have the mandate from Paul. So join in a group and do the ministry of gospel work. What about in our workplaces? As Christians in workplaces, can we pray together and can we be there for mutual support for each other? I think gone are the days where the time has allowed us to to say, no, I'm not going to do that because people will think I'm a freak or whatever. No, the time is now that we get together in our places of work. We come together and we pray together and we support each other so that we can be a force in that workplace for Christ. 
We have our teenagers in school, in university. Another chance just to follow the crowd and go along with what the world teaches us. Our teenagers, wherever you're sitting, I I look up and they're not in the front row this morning of the gallery, but wherever you are, spread out. Get together, pray together, study together, so that together in your place of study, you can be God's people. And simply can we be together? Us here. Can we be together to build partnership and relationship with each other so that we can be supporting each other and caring for each other? And before you leave this building today, I give you one option. Stay for coffee. Stay for tea. If you sit normally on the left-hand side of the church, whichever way you're looking at it, go across to the right-hand side of the church and introduce yourself to someone you don't know. And similarly, on the right-hand side, go across and speak to someone on the left. And if it's too scary here, how much worse is it going to be in the real world when we are here worshiping together as God's people? Can we spend five minutes this morning to develop and even start partnerships together? Time has gone as we think about what it means to be in relationship and partnership in the gospel message. We have I have. We each have a lot of work to do in understanding what it means for us to be His people, God's people, in our homes, in our places of work, in our communities. We must be relational. We must be purposeful about those relationships, getting to know our neighbors and our work colleagues so that we can live Christ wherever He places us. And we must be together we must be the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, as He always wanted us to be, loving each other so that we display His love to each other and the world around us. It starts today. It starts with five minutes of your time. Can you do it for the sake of being a gospel-centered church? Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves on our journey with you, asking that you will help us and you will encourage us to grow, grow in that love for Christ and that message that we cling so dearly to. Lord, a message that has changed us, saved us and won us, and help us. Help us take that message into this world around us, to share it with each other and to share it with those in our communities so that we will be your people, doing the work that you have called us to, knowing that what is done here on earth, we will see the fruits of in eternity. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.